welcome. This is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Well, welcome back to Dirt to Dollars. This week, it is the week of May the 25th. We are coming off Memorial Day weekend. I hope everyone had a had a great weekend, and thank you for those that served and uh, paid the price for us to do what we do these days. And we have a pretty big podcast set up today, as most of us in the agriculture world are dealing with. We've got the Coronavirus Food Assistant Program that is on everybody's mind, and today is actually the opening date for that, and we have two really Really great guest with us that are going to discuss that. We've got Dr. Will Snell and Dr. Kenny Burdine. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, well, we're glad you could be with us. And you guys. Hey, hey have, wait, 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 Matt. Did, did she introduce us? Oh, sorry. Ah, I don't hey think guys. she did. No, I'm sorry. Hey, guys. <laughs> We've got Daniel with us from LaRue, LaRue County and Matt Adams from Hardin County. That's right. Hey guys, listen, I'm getting worse at this. I really yeah, am. You're, it's a downhill yeah. thing in the last few weeks. I know. I've, I've forgotten. They're, they were my guest host last week, not my co-host. So. <laughs> but anyway, we've got a lot of, to talk about today, and I guess that's maybe why I'm messing up. If you guys want to, uh, Dr. Snell, you have you're on the more of the policy side of this if you kind of want to give us a little bit of a, a quick update on how this came about and and what we are expecting on this uh, food assistance program. all right Wendy obviously you know the whole nation's economy has been in the tank with this epidemic and uh, you know the, the farm organizations began with a lot of discussion with policymakers on the, the devastating impact this uh, bottleneck in the supply chain was going to have on egg prices and for the uh, first, uh, you know, after about mid-March, we saw just uh, ag prices to plummet. So there was a lot of discussion of different packages and different amounts. Uh, most of the farm organizations, commodity organizations, put forward estimates on trying to get uh, economic impact. And uh, certainly no kidding was involved on the livestock side. And we ended up uh, as part of the CARES Act. Uh, that was a stimulus package that was put forward, uh, $2 trillion that provided money to uh, individuals as well as businesses and, and agriculture was at the plate at that time. And, um, you know, there was around nine and a half billion dollars that was put forward for ag. Well, USDA took this money and uh, actually supplemented with some of the uh, CCC funds. Those are the funds that are made available to, to help ag programs, uh, you know, our MFP monies and our farm bill monies are, are located in that CCC fund. And collectively, it's about a $16 billion fund. And this is gonna be allocated over the next few months to try to provide some support out there for the uh, massive downturn in the farm economy. So be glad to visit with you on some of the details, but that's kind of the pot of money we're looking at. And, uh, you know, there's some discussion there might be additional dollars. The farm organization's already pointing out that this is probably not going to be enough money to, uh, you know, compensate farmers for the losses they've had due to, to COVID-19. Yeah, that's uh, already what we're hearing a little bit about is, you know, what, whether there will be farm payments later on down the road. Um, it looks like there's a lot of eligible commodities. Uh, it doesn't seem that they have eliminated any commodity group from this payment, which is a good thing. Uh, the Just the way that they are doing right. the funding can you uh, there's there's kind of a there's a website we can go to uh, that 
that gives us some information on whether or not we get a payment or not based on the animals or mm -hmm. the grain that well, we have. The criteria, the, there are several criteria, but the basic one is that any commodity that experienced more than a 5% loss in price from mid-January to mid-April. And uh, you know, Whitney, you're right, there's a whole host of commodities out there. Three, from Kentucky's perspective, that are not on the list are tobacco, hemp, and soft red winter wheat. And uh, again, these are based upon the fact that, um, according to USDA, that they did not have either evidence to show with hemp specifically of a drop in price and sure. certainly tobacco wouldn't the case. And um, we actually, you know, wheat was one of those strange commodities that we were able to see the market kind of hold its own during that January through Mar or April period. And, uh, you know, again, winter wheat is not eligible <laughs> under the current program. I know one thing I noticed on there. So okay. me and Whitney both are sheep farmers and sheep was on the list, yeah. um, but I noticed that goats were not on the list. Um, so I, I'm assuming maybe their mm -hmm. prices had, had maybe been high. And I would have thought sheep prices, it's kind of the high time of the year for them. I thought they may have been, I didn't know if they were 5% off or not. But So Daniel gets his first experience with government handouts. Kenny, so. <laughs> 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 one thing, speaking of, of assistance with, with government programs, that's something that a lot of cattle guys really aren't familiar with. I know a lot of the livestock groups were happy to see that it seems like the cattle side are are very well taken care of in this program, especially for sales. Uh, can you explain a little bit about the livestock side of the program, specifically the cattle part? Yeah, sure, Matt. Yeah, good question there, of course, on the on the cattle side. But no, you know, generally speaking, they have not um, they've not sought as much funding in the past, maybe some other commodity groups for different reasons. Um, there's some exceptions out there, um, but but in this case, they certainly did. Um, you mentioned, I guess, the, the payment to cattle uh, on, on the sales side, and, and you know, Will alluded to both the CARES payment portion and the CCC payment portion. It's that CARES payment that really covers actual sales from mid-January to mid-April, and, and it is reasonably good. Um, you, you know, certainly you can always shoot holes in anything, but, you know, they're, they're per head payments um, on actual sales during that time period for for fed cattle, for heavy feeders, and for calves, and, and even for like whole cows, aren't that far off what I would have expected. Um, they really aren't that far off from the estimates in the study that I was involved with out of Oklahoma State. So that's there. Um, the CCC payment, which is actually more on inventory, and it's on inventory after that April 15, so it's really April April 16 to May 14. That's a much lower payment. And so on the cattle side, it's folks that fall into that CCC category more so than the CARES category that I think have got more concern and have raised more, more issues. And then you, know, you mentioned other livestock. Um, you know, Daniel mentioned sheep being included, um, hogs are included, and then um, dairy as well. Um, the, the payment for dairy is pretty significant $4.71 a hundred weight on first quarter milk yeah. production. And then there's a second quarter payment that's lower that's basically first quarter times kind of a seasonal increase expectations. So dairy, dairy was first in my opinion too on the livestock side. So on the cattle side, something that I've on that CCC payment, something that I've kind of pointed out to people and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that's basically for every head that you have on the farm, right? So your, your mama cows and your, your calves, if you're calving this spring, everything qualifies for that, correct? 
Yeah, you know, with the caveat that obviously FSA has got some interpretational authority here to mm-hmm. you know make some calls, but yeah, but I agree with you completely. Um, you know, the the thing that's gotten the most that's probably about the most attention from cattle producers has been kind of that line of the sand on April fifteenth, and that you know if I've got cattle that I kept just past that deadline, I move from the CARES payment into the CCC payment pretty quickly, right? So that's been the first thing. But but my interpretation is the same as yours, Matt. If, if I'm a spring calving cow calf operation. I would, be, I would be eligible for the CCC payment on both on both the cow and then the calf at her side. And that's my interpretation as well. And I think on some of these sales numbers, I, my opinion is they did a pretty good job capturing those losses, as you alluded to before. You know, we had a, had a pen of cattle from this part of the state that were on feed on retained ownership that actually killed it. I think the first week of February. So they fall into that timeline kind of as things were starting to fall off because of, of the virus being in, in China and some of these other countries. But I think I went back and looked and it's going to take that pin from like an $80 loss to a roughly $130, $40 profit, which is probably what they should have been uh, with the way the market was looking at that at that time or leading up to that? Yeah, a lot of it's timing, you know, in, in truth, you know, the January 15 is the start of that, that window, but in reality, our prices really in Kentucky, I didn't think they started dropping that much, you know, that early. It was, it was well, right. I mean, really it was probably early March was first in the big increases. So. Right. Well, and it's like you said, the only ones that I've had are concerned about it would be the ones that kept that are spring or that are fall calvers that kept their calves longer than that April 15 date. And so that's just the risk that you take in that situation. If you, in my opinion, I know it doesn't sound great, but that, I mean, that's the life we live. You, when they draw that line in the sand, you're, you're stuck at that date. Yeah. Your fall calvers that, that held cattle past mid April, especially if they did that, if they did that differently this year than usual, you know, or mm-hmm. we certainly have a reason to be frustrated. The other folks though, I would add that, and this is almost to me kind of worst case scenario is I'm a winter backgrounder. You know, I, I bought some cattle late winter. I carried them, you know, I was planning to sell them sometime in April for whatever reason I kept them past the April 15 deadline. I've got a pretty significant loss on a, you know, 800, 900 pound steer. Right. And if I, if I move from that hairs rate to that CCC rate, it's pretty significant. So, you know, they're kind of almost, I think almost kind of worst case scenario in terms of that transition and that hard deadline there, April 15. Another interesting situation would be with, with grain. Are there some issues with, uh, if grain is sold or not, or maybe if it's at the elevator, um, and not technically sold, what's, what's going on with that? Has there been any kind of guidance on how we handle those situations? Well, we're still kind of waiting on the official language on that to, the grain payments, uh, again, this is not wheat, but uh, for corn and soybeans, are based upon either half of your production from last year, those two crops, or uh, what inventory you had on farm storage as of January 15th. So Kenny talked about the April 15th for cattle. For grain, it's January 15th. And some of our folks, you know, ended up for tax reasons or make basis uh May have good, been good at a certain time period that, you know, went ahead and moved some grain. Um, so for a lot of our producers, it's probably going to be, you know, what's on hand January 15th because it's mm-hmm. the smaller of the two. So, again, you can take half of your production 2019 or what you had on hand on uh, January 15th. And the smallest amount of those two uh, levels is what you're going to be compensated on. And for grain... Again, just like with livestock, as Kenny mentioned, there's a CARES payment as well as a CCC payment. 
Uh, for corn, it averaged out about 33 and a half cents a bushel, and for soybeans, 47 and a half cents per bushel. You know, another thing is, Kenny, I guess we should talk about is actual records. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit easier on the green side. Um, you know, have to self-certify this. I, it, it appears that USDA is trying to minimize the amount of paperwork and depending upon producers to, to certify their inventory levels or the sale levels uh, as part of this program. And that's something, I mean, I asked my local FSA office one day last week what kind of records they thought they needed spe- specifically on the livestock side, and they really didn't know at that point. So I think... I, the the story that I'm getting there is is you know this they're trying to get this pushed along to get people paid as quickly as possible so they're they're kind of learning as they go so it's going to take a little grace working with your with your FSA office especially this first week or two till they get some details figured out. I know Extension was really pushing uh, Kenny and some of the and Dr. Snell and several of you guys were emailing out saying make sure that your producers have all of their records in order so that way whatever they ask for they can, they can deliver to them because we don't know what that is. And, and what's the, I don't know if we discussed this yet, but there is a cap to this program. And so can you guys, or one of you explain what that is and kind of how they came up with that payment? Well, this is one of the controversial parts of the program. Uh, Payment limitation is always controversial. Uh, You've got some states that, uh, you know, have more small farmer base and other states that, you know, argue that, you know, large farmers take on a lot more risk and therefore vulnerable to this downturn. But they ended up with $250,000 cap per individual. And then there's, of course, always a lot of discussion, debate about different farm structures, uh, how that comes into play. But initially they had a cap uh, at the commodity level as well as a cap for an individual. But uh, at the end of the day, they ended up with uh, a cap of $250,000 per uh, individual. So, and I don't know how that'll translate in terms of Kentucky. I'm sure it'll hit some of our producers, uh, but for the most part, uh, Kenny, I, I wouldn't necessarily think a, maybe a little bit more on the grain side than on the cattle side, certainly. It'll hit a few cattle producers, not not very many cow-calf operators. There's a good, there's a chance it could definitely hit some of your larger, you know, backgrounding type operations that are turning a lot of cattle in volume, but, but I think it'll be more on the grain side that'll be an impact on the cattle side. And then there's also discussion about ownership. Uh, made it pretty clear in the, in the rules that you have to have ownership. It can't be a con- contractual type relationship. So, this, for the most part, the way we understand it, uh, you know, let, left out our poultry producers that are part of vertically integrated operations because, again, the language there, you had to be suspect to price risk. Yeah. And under those situations, uh, again, a lot of our integrators uh, or farms that deal with uh, poultry integrators would not be eligible. That would be a lot of folks in my county, and I know that you have some – hog producers that could potentially be in that situation as well. Uh, I could see where it could hit several of our producers. You know, we've got a pretty, I think in, in our state, pretty wide variety from a small farmer to a large, to a large integrator. So you're going to hear both sides of the story <laughs> before it's all said and done with. A couple of things we haven't talked about. Uh, again, it's a $16 billion pot of money and USDA is obligated to distribute 16 billion nationwide, but they can't go over the 16 billion. So what they're actually doing is distributing 80% of what you're eligible for uh, up front. And again, the secretary has indicated 
that once your application is in, maybe seven to 10 days, that uh, you will receive your money be direct deposited. So the feeling is if there's enough money left over after the first pot of money, then you'll get to 20% later. So they're actually leaving it open for commodities that they have not actually ruled eligible that uh, might dip into some of that 20%. But uh, I think at this point, USDA uh, wants producers to feel like, you know, for the most part, that money is going to be there. I know with the, with the PPP uh, loan program, uh, there was a lot of rush to get your application in because you're fearfully small businesses that they would not receive funding if money would, would dry up. But the way they've structured it is to, the way I understand, to, to guarantee that first 80%, and assuming there's not a lot of other commodities that it would apply for these funds, that the remaining 20% would be paid out later this summer. So that's probably a good question to ask Mr. Lacefield. And that was, yeah, that was going to be something I kind of wanted to bring up too in regards to, to working with your FSA office. I, do either of you feel like this is something that, I, I mean, I'm getting the feeling we don't need to go out and rush and knock FSA's door down this week or we're not going to get any money like like you mentioned the ppp program was well will can comment here but i I guess given the fact that it's an election year i would be surprised if there wasn't every effort made to get you know folks paid at at these levels so i i I would be surprised it ended up being a major issue but it's always a possibility i guess yeah i would agree with kenny but i i feel more confident on funding being available for this program that we had this was the first round of the ppp program yeah, and, and it's it's worth noting, too, that our FSA offices are doing the best that they can with the staff that they have. They're under restrictions just like we are. So if you are a producer listening and you are get a little frustrated like we all can get, just be patient because I think this is a process. And I don't think, like you said, I think that the payments will be there. So there's no reason to get frustrated. Just be patient. Is it time for me to ask a hard-hitting question? Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to play football this year? (laughs) Listen, I will be waddling at those football games by this time for those, for the two of you that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hot and. Yeah. Kenny and I tailgate together some, so uh, they were mowing around the stadium this morning. So (laughs) I don't know what that means. They're preparing for it anyway. I, I tweeted. I, I looked like Mark Stoops yeah. last week during our during our radio show, and and I had I had tweeted at him, and he didn't tweet back. Uh, some some coworker he is. I know. I know. I hope we do play though. Me too, for sure. Me too. Uh, for those, I guess you two are still on campus. How are things on campus for you guys? You know, I always like to ask how things are across the across sixty five and how those how you are doing in lexington it's pretty dead uh i come in the office a couple days a week just uh, if i stay at home i work myself to death so i come in the office and the big news on campus uh is they're taking down the towers floor by floor (laughs) (laughs) i was really saying every time i come in there's another floor to (laughs) young so well Luckily, I only lived on the fifth floor, so I guess it'll be one of the last to go. I actually only ever lived in the low rises, so the highest I ever got was the third floor. But I had to climb the stairs every day. I never got the, I never got a elevator. They pushed some of the low rises over. So my wife and I were looking forward to the big explosion party, demolition <laughs> party on the tower. 
somebody said just due to asbestos or something that they've had to take it down floor by floor. Yeah. So they got all this scaffolding around. And well, it, and you all are close enough for those that aren't used to campus, which it's completely different than it was when Daniel and I were there, but you are awful close. So if the explosion happened, you all would be a first, you would get eyewitness account of it. The best thing about campus is parking's pretty easy these days. My <laughs> wife is works at the med center, so she's been in every day, but uh, parking's pretty easy. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we're really appreciative that you all took time to come on because like you said, I know you are busy and this is a pertinent topic and I'm sure like us as agents, you are getting a lot of phone calls and getting a lot of questions about this as well. So we do appreciate your willingness to come on and spend a few minutes with us to gab about it and help our our producers locally get more information. Uh, I'll just close by saying, you know, Kenny and I realize it's extremely challenging out there on the farm economy. And these payments will, will certainly be very well welcomed and you know, hopefully uh, there'll be some opportunities for additional payments. Um, we're just like you all trying to speculate how long this pandemic is going to last and the impact and, you know, when we'll get back to driving again and going out to restaurants. And it's just difficult to project. Um, unfortunately, we don't see a lot of silver lining at, at the present time because I feel like it's going to take a while for this economy to rebound. And one of the things I really worry about is on the trade side that, Right now, not only are we talking about local food production, but other countries are as well. And, and whether or not, you know, this has some implications for trade down the road is a very concerning factor. So as usual, you know, Kentucky farmers that are good marketers and good managers uh, will survive and these payments will help. But uh, we've got to, uh, you know, just hope and pray that things will turn around quickly. I feel like the next few weeks are pretty crucial, honestly. You know, as, as we learn more about, you know, what happens as some states open up more than others, as restaurants reopen, you know, as, as people travel more and kind of what happens as we start to see that. I think that's probably going to be pretty important in determining how long this lasts. And we talked when I was with you guys a few weeks ago, you know, there's unfortunately because of the harvest issues, we are backing some, you know, backing some livestock up into the system. And, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing spillover on that in different ways. And it's going to take some time to work through that, even if things do improve on the demand side. You know, we've still got a supply issue because of the backlog that we'll have to work through. Um, well, last thing I would say, just kind of to the three of you, um, you know, I was able to be with you a few weeks ago and talk to you today. And I, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I've been a guest. I've also been a listener. So I, I really enjoy what y'all do. And thanks so much for taking the lead. Doing something new and innovative. It's been a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you. I've been noticing the buttercup. <laughs> we have been too. <laughs> well, we appreciate the words, Kenny. Yep, we, uh, thank you. We, we try to, we're, like I said, we're trying different avenues. We know that a lot of different people listen a lot of different ways and we just want to get the information out. Yeah, I've been impressed with the creativity of our agents across the state. It's, it's flat out amazing. I mean, we got an easy job on our end. You all come up different ways and you've got people that, uh, I mean, you're always on the spot, no matter where you office or at home, to the grocery, wherever you are. So uh, certainly admire what you all do and appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks y'all for joining us this all week. Right. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, have a great week. Thank you. 
All right, and now we're going to chat a few minutes with the State Executive Director of the USDA Farm Service Agency, Mr. Brian Lacefield. We're glad you could be with us today, Mr. Lacefield. Morning, and I'm, uh, I'm tickled uh, to be with, uh, with the three of you all this morning. We're glad to have you on. We understand how busy uh, this week is for, for you and, and all Farm Service Agency, for that matter, and appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us. Well, we're, we're excited. Uh, we've been uh, anxiously awaiting the rollout of, uh, of our CFAB program and, and excited about, uh, about it starting. So we're, uh, I, I did have a bit of a in knowing that, uh, that Tuesday was going to be a busy day for us. And, uh, and it proved to be a busy day. Uh, my, uh, my phone actually, I've, I've turned it upside down and, uh, and on silent <laughs> while we So uh, I, I will say I, I've got a little anxiety uh, as what uh, what may be happening. Had uh, had a couple of uh, direct uh, inquiries from DC uh, uh, last uh, yesterday, uh, uh, ranging from uh, "you better fix that, Brian," to an attaboy. I'll share the attaboy <laughs> with you. that was a positive. But by lunch, Kentucky was leading the nation with number of applications. We had wow. uh, 350 producers signed up by uh, by lunch. I, I thought it was great since uh, since half our states in a in a different time zone. We we were you know there were several other states that had three full hours and we 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 hadn't had all that. So uh, big big kudos to the Kentucky team. They're they're an amazing group that can get things done. And uh, as you all are well aware that uh, we're we're operating in some uh, unique ways right now. This is a big lift for for USDA Farm Service Agency in any environment. What really makes it challenging is we're doing this now where we're not able to stand at the counter and uh, and look at that uh, that producer as they come in and help them fill out this. We're doing this all virtually uh, through uh, through phones, uh, through through meetings like this, or uh, or through, through mail, and that's making it. Uh, it's just it's not the way we we've historically delivered our services, and so it's making it a, a big challenge. I can understand that. And so, I guess uh, I, I will just explain how we are operating right now in Kentucky with FSA is uh, since the beginning of this pandemic, uh, we, we've not shut down any offices. We have remained open throughout all of this it, uh, and, and providing uh, the all continuation of our services, just been in a different one programs and farm loans. I always uh, talk about FSA and our two sides of the house that we actually have a, have a farm loan program and then we have the farm programs, which we're talking about today with the, the new uh, the new CFAP program coming out with the CARES Act. Um, but all these have continued. We had not been a telework uh, agency. Our, our uh, employees, the majority, were not telework ready. So this initially became a big lift to get everybody in a situation to where we could work remotely at home. And it was amazing. Uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was all on uh, the vision of the leadership team in Kentucky. All all the other folks had been working overtime to uh, to get us all ready with laptops and uh, and and able to do that. And when we went home, we only had out of 310 employees uh, uh, on on board. We we only had a handful that did not have laptops and the ability to uh, to, to access internet at home. Uh, Big contrast to some of my colleagues in other states that were trying to refurbish. I had a, had a colleague in a big state in the Midwest that was trying to refurbish several hundred old uh, NRCS laptops to get their, their folks ready. So mm -hmm. Kentucky was in good shape to, to do this. Uh, thanks a lot to the broadband initiative as well my my fellow uh, sister uh, uh, leadership in, in rural development and uh, and their 
their work on trying to get that in Kentucky that we actually were just had a handful of spots that we did not have access with uh, with internet and able to work from home. So that that put us at a at a good start to to get ready for this. We've had uh, to limit each office to uh, to two employees at a time. So uh, our offices are currently staffed uh, open. Uh, we're not seeing producers in the office, but we have folks on staff and uh, two at a time. That makes it a big challenge for uh, 16 of our 64 offices have farm loans as well. In these offices, one person from farm loans, one person from farm programs. And out of the 16, these are usually uh, pretty large workload offices that, that have those. So that's added a, a unique challenge uh, as well as we, we've tried to have basically two businesses running one person at a time. So we've, we've been experimenting with different ways to handle calls and, uh, and we're still uh, uh, we're still trying to figure out what our best practices, and it looks like with uh, with where we're at in Kentucky, uh, with current cases and, uh, and and with the pandemic, that it's going to be a, a measured rollback to, to bringing folks in. So we're looking at the majority of the program being handled remotely. So what we are asking producers to do is make contact with their their local office and uh, and the offices. It's going to be a little different when you call in. And this, uh, if anybody doesn't like it, you can you can put it all on me. I'm trying to, to manage this uh, this flow of uh, impact with a lot of producers coming in. Is uh, we've got employees that are in the office and employees that are home teleworking. So the incoming lines, at best case scenario, we've got two folks in an office answering those. And a lot of offices uh, that's it's a very small percentage of the workforce. So the, the folks handling the incoming call, taking the producer's name and number and setting up an appointment for somebody else to call and then work through the application process with them. That way we're not tying up that main line in to the office with somebody that may take uh, you know two hours to, to go right. through uh, the whole process. Now it's, a, it's hopefully a long time uh, as to what it would actually take to go through it, but you can have a lot of questions and and with this program we're seeing folks come into our office or calling into our office that have historically not done uh, not done a lot of business with uh, with the farm service agents uh, I talked to a producer the other day that uh, he said you're on the FSA office since uh, y'all had a tobacco program you go back uh, you know that that goes back to the mild in 04 and that uh, I think is going to be going to be true for what uh, what we're looking at but um, I guess let's talk about uh, just go go from the beginning on this program that we're we're talking about. Uh, program came out of the uh, the the CARES Act that was passed back in uh, in back I guess what the March uh, of the uh, the whole pandemic beginning, and uh, was designed to work with producers that uh, either either market pricing impact or market disruption for transportation. It's a wide, largely encompassing uh, program that is paying a, a uh, will, will, will impact a large number of Kentucky producers. To give you a scale of what we're looking at, we had two uh, trade mitigation programs that we administered, the market facilitation programs one and two, uh, one for the 2018 crop and one for the 2019 crop. The 2019 was expanded, uh, added in a few additional commodities, so we had more participation in it. We had about 50 producers uh, in that program. Internally, uh, we're looking at, uh, at possibly hitting 50,000 Kentucky producers with this program. So back to that lift and what we're doing, this was going to be huge by any any stretch uh, for, for the Farm Service Agency in normal conditions, but uh, with, with not being able to come in, it uh, is going to 
be more of a challenge. So any any message I could I could get to your listeners here and uh, and ask my partners with Extension to help me with messaging to uh, to the Kentucky producers is we uh, we funding for this program. Uh, this is not going to be a program where we're going to see funds exhausted quickly. In fact, we've even taken some measures uh, within the uh, the USDA uh, nationwide to ensure that we are going to, to be able to pay everybody. Number one, uh, this program was looked at uh, very carefully uh, by uh, the chief economist office to design areas of impact and then measure to what this, this possible payment would be. We, we got the list of eligible commodities and livestock that are, that are going to be able to participate in this program, but um, our, going to advance funds at 80% of your eligible amount just for this this reason, that uh, we we still have other crops that are under consideration and under review at the national level for inclusion in this program. Uh, One of the things impacting this will be uh, the the level of participation on the the side front end. And then if there is funding to to pay, we will, uh, and and they can demonstrate that there was at least a 5% decline due to the pandemic. These will be included. So, because we've got that that reserve, that number one, we have a good idea of what we're going to be paying, who's going to be participating, how much we're going to be paying for this on the nation scale, but then also have uh, have a reserve to ensure that. So, I've I've told folks uh, that have asked me, there is no prize for being uh, first in line for this program. Uh, in fact, actually, it might be, a, uh, we go through a few hiccups and uh, and we're getting continued guidance. Uh, there was yesterday uh, quite a bit of, of updated guidance that came out from the national office. Just, again, when you roll out a program of this magnitude, you think you, you know every scenario, but I've, I've been working with uh, Kentucky farmers my entire career. They're a lot like snowflakes. Uh, there's no two alike. And just as soon as you think you've got a very exhaustive handbook and frequently asked questions, you'll get one at the, uh, at the, on the phone. It'll be like, huh, that's a head scratcher. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's an call up here and we're like, huh, we're going to have to send that one on, uh, on up to DC. So uh, that, uh, that's what's happening right now. You talked a little bit about, how to prepare how farmers need to be prepared to go into the office what are some things you all are asking farmers to have when on hand when they make that phone call or or when they get that return phone call back during their appointment well that's a great question matt first thing i'll say is patience let's let's make sure we've got our patience uh as we we call in and that's why i wanted to explain how we're, we're operating through this number one my 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 team uh who are quick learns and uh and excellent with uh, customer service and that's uh that's from uh from 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 grayson to clinton when you, you go across the the state of, of what we we have producers out there uh and our our staff are top notch but uh, do encourage patience but the program is self-certifying. The, the, uh, is relatively simple. Uh, I'm I'm a producer as well. I went to the farmer.gov uh, website, and you can download a, a, a spreadsheet that takes you through your payment mm-hmm. calculation, and you can input that, and it actually will populate uh, an application that you can print and and send into your your office or scan and send into to your office. And uh, it it was it was quick. Uh, mine mine was relatively simple, uh, and uh, and I was I was able to complete it in in less than 15 minutes. Um, so it's, it's relatively quick and, and somebody from our, our office can help guide you through it. But 
to self-certify, you need to have numbers come from. For me to prepare my my application, I pulled out my uh, settlement sheets. I had I had grain uh, on hand uh, on January fifteenth. Uh, it was unpriced. It was still uh, subject to market risk, which that's uh, that is one of the factors that are uh, in here, and we can talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, I, I was able to pull from where I did sell these uh, these crops later in the year, and uh, and I had the the total amount of bushels for our grain crops. Uh, the uh, you're reporting both your total production for 2019, so it has to be crops that you produced uh, on here, and then you still had to have January the 15th. And it had to be subject to market risk, and I'm gonna that that question has come up quite a bit. So I've I've actually got the actual here here is and it look it's, it's highlighted in yellow. So you this is I mean it's important official. So uh, and this just just printed this out this morning. But definition of price risk: unpriced or subject to price risk means the commodity's price is not yet secured through a forward contract agreement or similar binding transaction as of January 15th, 2020. And so that's getting a whole lot of questions uh, coming in as to you know, how, what contracts come in and what, how does that affect? Talk to your, uh, your, your folks at your local office to go through any specific questions. We're getting them guidance uh, out there as to what is, but uh, bottom line, you're self-certifying what, uh, what inventory you had on hand that was subject to price risk. And that subject to price risk is for all uh, livestock and commodities covered in this program. Purpose of the spirit of the program is to, uh, to, to help, soften the the impact of this uh the, the price decline due to the pandemic so this uh this person that's self-certifying good good records are always important having having from, from delivery or from sales uh important on your your crops or the same with the livestock i'll plug uh plug the uk extension here my my start was uh was with the uk farm analysis program Better management through records. Uh, you, you know, I, I, and as an old banker before that, you will not find a bigger supporter uh, out of the state of that program. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I firmly believe that anything starts with good records. And, and although you are self-certifying, there is going to be spot checks for for eligibility of this program. So, if you are self-certifying something, I encourage you to have the record what you're putting down on that application. For our livestock, uh, again, I'm still waiting the further guidance to come out, but looking at, uh, at what we have uh, for that program, obviously uh, uh, records, very good, and they can be in any, you know, differing forms. What the, you know, four of us here sitting here talking, we all may, four have different methods of how we track that. Mine may be a, a, a spreadsheet with, uh, with, with all the purchases, uh, births, deaths, everything on there for inventory purposes. Daniel's may be uh, the, the little pocket that he keeps things done. I, I've seen it in every form as an old record keeper and banker that what comes in. And so the main thing is it be, be accurate and, um, and, the, and, and, and workable for you. And these things will be decided at, a, at, at differing levels of, uh, of oversight. Most likely a county committee will review uh, these, uh, these things and you may be asked uh, to, to submit uh, some, some of your records. But as of today, I cannot tell you this is the absolute record what we're calling for because that has not been defined. But based on historic livestock programs with uh, with the Farm Service Agency, again, it's uh, used for monitoring your 
your beef operation or dairy or hogs or sheep or whatever your your enterprise is while we're on the livestock side do you do you care to touch a little bit on uh some of the eligibility what what is eligible or what you all interpret as eligible and what's ineligible at, at this time or do you could would you be able to touch on that just a well little bit? i tell you i, I can i can go back to the actual words and then we can talk about uh, some of those i think <laughs> is if, it I, highlighted? if i actually give you uh, they, 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 we've had these defined a little bit longer on uh, on some of these uh, these but as far as on uh, our livestock it is calculated let's just go with the actual words livestock mm-hmm eligible for for this program include cattle, hogs, lambs, and yearlings. A single payment will be calculated using the sum of the producer's number of livestock sold between January the 15th and April the 15th of 2020. This will be multiplied by the payment rate per head, which they range from $102 to $214 uh, per head. And uh, the highest inventory number of livestock between a 14th multiplied by the payment rate per head. That's the $33 figure. Uh, And then this is what it's telling us back to the documentation. Producers must provide the following information for the program, uh, which would be the total sales of the eligible livestock between January 15th to April 15th of the owned inventory as of January 15th, including any offspring from that inventory. So if you read read that, it says that any any livestock that is in inventory on January the fifteenth, so and an offspring thereof that that inventory. So when it says offspring from that inventory, so that would be if you had a, a, a bred cow that you purchased on January fourteenth, she would be inventory on January fifteenth, and if she has that calf in this period, that would be eligible for that. You bought a bred calf on January or a bred cow on January 16th, then that that was not an inventory on that January 15th date. So that's back to those records and how they're important that you know when you acquired these. If you're if you're buying and selling uh, bred cattle uh, or or buying and selling any any cattle that if anything was bought and sold within that January 15th 15th and sold during this period that would not be included. It would be livestock that was in inventory on January 15th or offspring from that that inventory that you had on January 15th. Thanks for clarifying that. That's a, a really good way of explaining that and going over kind of what's eligible and what's not and what we're trying to, what you all are trying to capture in this program as well. Well, and then the inventory figure for that $33 period, that that's for right. the, the, the head of livestock that were sold. The ones for the uh, the the uh, inventory factor, those will be the the in between April the sixteenth and May fourteenth, and it's any date in that period your highest number. So that gives you a, a range uh, for for what inventory was during that time. Right. Uh, one other thing that a lot of questions on are the payment limitations. Uh, we we do have a, a cap of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per individual or entity for that. A couple of different factors for this program. Uh, one is the AGI. We, we always uh, talk about your adjusted gross income and historically uh, cap that at $900,000. Uh, if 75% of your earnings come from agriculture, come from farming or farm-related enterprises, then uh, you, you don't have that same limitation. 
So that, that was expanded with the market facilitation program, and that is in this program as well. The 250000 that is uh, would be for all, all commodities. If you uh, have a lot of different enterprises, you may hit it in, in, in just one of them with the two hundred fifty. So it's, uh, it's cumulative for, for everything you have. Another caveat in, uh, in this program is with our uh, LLCs, corporations, and limited parties. You've been limited at one, one limit or entity. In this, uh, we've expanded that to 750000 three limits. Uh, okay. So it would be you would have a limit for each shareholder in an LLC or, or corporation up to three. Uh, and again, that's that's has to be defined on the front end. This would have to be how you're you're operating uh, back at the, the, the prior period. Now you can't change these things uh, at this point with it. But if you had an LLC, uh, say a husband and wife, uh, two member LLC would be eligible now for uh, two limits if they had the members. A single will have just one payment limit. Makes sense. So we said sign up uh, began uh, yesterday and it runs through uh, through August the 28th. Uh, again, so we, we are ready. We're taking applications and, uh, and, and processing them. Payments uh, will be processed uh, quickly. I can't tell you exactly when uh, when you sign up, uh, your payment will hit your, uh, your, che- your, your checking account, but it will be uh, relatively quick. We've got a, a streamlined process for approving and review of these. So uh, payments will be hitting producers' uh, checking accounts. Uh, well, those 350 we had, I'm hoping that uh, we'll have payments. Uh, I hope someone will start seeing them by next week. That, that'd be good. Yes, that's that's great. Well, I, I just want to take a minute and just say thank you for coming on. I know uh, you all are very busy this week. It's been a been a crazy last couple of days for you, I'm sure. And I know you had mentioned that it was kind of a big lift for for your staff across the state to be able to take this on. But, you know, we, we all work very closely with our local farm service agency offices and we know that you all are up to it and you'll, you'll do a great job with it. And one more thing we talked earlier in the show about, uh, how if people can poke holes in anything, but if you really look at the numbers and look at what this program does, we think you all, the USDA did a great job of being able to capture uh, that that price loss that occurred because of this. And it, it really does a good job to uh, to make up for that price loss in all commodities across the board. So so congratulations. Thank you all for, for working on this. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. I, uh, not not every phone call that, that hits my desk is telling us how great we did <laughs> on nailing it. And that that's always a challenge with anything that's nationwide. And uh, with these dates, you, you, you have to, to draw a line somewhere and right. it's not ill. But I, I'm looking at it the same way when, when you're talking about uh, good what the impact that this program can have to uh, to not not just the uh, the, the fifty thousand producers that, that we're going to impact, but to the the rural communities uh, across the state that will benefit from this program as well. So we're we're excited about it. We know how important it is, and um, and um, myself and my team we we love Kentucky producers and are excited about getting this out. And and thank you to uh, to, to the three of you and the rest of the the UK Extension team. You are a fantastic uh, partner for us, and uh, and we we appreciate your help and that for these things, both uh, both 
this is how they happen. Uh, you, when you look at how this was designed, input was was drawn from every commodity group uh, across the nation, and uh, and we know that uh, extension folks play play a large part into it. I've, uh, Dr. Snell and Dr. Burdine, I've been talking with both of those. We've got some internal guesses on what we think uh, funding will, will be like for this program, and I'm uh, I'm anxious to see how it all turns out. I imagine so. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are interested in, at this point. Brian, thank you very much for joining us today. Maybe we can have you again, uh, have you on again sometime soon, and we can talk about some funner things uh, rather than <laughs> reading from the protocol book. <laughs> uh, thanks and, again. And how successful and, this was. So. <laughs> well, well, that, that's great. Well, uh, so yeah, send me the link. I want to watch uh, when y'all have uh, other other guests on here. I think this is a great forum, and I want to I want to keep up with what you all are doing. I I uh, think y'all have got great counties and. Uh, very active uh, producers and and all three of these represented and uh, I uh, appreciate what all you do. All right. Well, thanks again, Brian. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. All right. Well, that was a a couple of, or really three great guests we just had on the podcast. Uh, I feel we're really fortunate to be able to get, to get Brian on. I know he's a a busy guy. We mentioned that earlier, but and he uh, likes to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows it. I mean, that's why he's in that position. Exactly. And he gave us some great information. Yes. Some great definitely. information there. Uh, we just want to share real quick while we're still on the on the CFAP subject, our local Farm Service Agency office numbers here so you can call and go on and get that process started for yourself. Hardin and LaRue County, and we're lucky our offices are actually combined. Hardin-LaRue County office number is 270-765-2702. Grayson County is 270-259. 3716. He said, just be patient with them because they are limited staff and they are doing whatever they can to help you guys. Yep. So what about the weather this weekend? Have y'all seen this forecast? Look nice. Looks nice. It looks good. I just hope it doesn't turn out like the forecast has the last <laughs> month. It seems like it gets here and whether it's good or bad, it ends up ends up not panning out. So yeah. <laughs> You know, we had a meteorologist on this show recently, you know, not too long ago, but I don't know if I want to have him on now. I'm not real happy with the forecast that I've been seeing, not from UK Ag Weather, but from some from meteorologists on the news. It's hard to plan to do anything. I know yeah. people are trying to decide when to cut hay and when not to, and going by the forecast, and it's just like, man, it just never works out. I, I think Whitney and I both have some getting rained yep. on as we speak. As we speak, yeah. And and the thing is, is I will say that the local meteorologist that I listen to. I will give him a little bit of credit because yesterday afternoon on, on his forecast, he did say, I feel sorry for you farmers who are trying to get your hay cut and get your crops <laughs> planted. So he did feel for us. So he is aware of what's going on. It's just, I don't think they have any say so in it, but it does look great this weekend for doing anything outside, whether you're planting or cutting hay or what, what have you. And just a reminder that you know, equipment's going to be on the road like they always are. And people are finally getting out and about. So we need to be sure to share the road and, and watch, be careful and watch for folks as they're going to and from. Yep, exactly. On both sides, you, you need to be courteous on the, if you're the one operating the farm equipment down the road, you need to be courteous if you're the driver in the passenger car or whatever as well. So, yep. Okay. That's why we call it sharing the road. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I don't have any more pressing issues and we've had a lot of really good information come out from this podcast today. So I think we will be finished for this week and we will see you guys next week. 
All right, right. Whitney, real quick before we go, where do you catch us on Twitter? Ah, yeah, Twitter, at Dirt211, and on our text machine at 502-286-3131. All right, perfect. See you all next week. See you all next week. See ya.